Come on. Would you stand with me really quick? Let's pray before we jump into God's word this morning. Father God, we're so thankful for your word to us. God, we've already heard from you this morning. God, you're already moving in this place. You are a way maker. You are a miracle worker. God, you make roads where there isn't any roads. So, Father, we just, we just ask that you'd um, continue to open our, our spiritual ears so we can hear a word from you this morning. God, we love to hear from you. So as we say, speak to us this morning. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. All right. So I am a music lover. Some would maybe even say a connoisseur. Um, although these days I don't get to spend as much time um, searching out new music as I used to. But as someone who loves music, I remember growing up and hearing about this guy. Anybody know this guy up on the screen? I know I've got his name up there, but anybody recognize that guy? Anybody? I'm just curious. Anybody? Okay. So, I, and I don't even remember where I saw or heard it. I think it was a, a television show that Deanna and I were watching um, uh, when we were young and dating and uh, something like that. But they, but they mentioned that this guy was a recording engineer for Bruce Springsteen and for Tom Petty and even for John Lennon. His name is Jimmy Levine. And um, he would, you know, so back in the 70s, started John Lennon, the whole th- story. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And so um, we were watching him in this television program. And, and the more you dig, you find out that this guy is the producer for U2's Rattle and Hum, and that got my attention. And there's just a short little um, Italian man who's leading Bono in the edge as they entered into fame, one of the largest you know, rock and roll bands um, in history. So check out this clip, because it's just so interesting to me. Watch this. Go ahead and hit the lights again real quick. Do you know what my lyrics are? Do you know if my lyrics are brought over? <laughs> You like that change? Mm-hmm. In between the verses, I, I think it's okay. Because it makes the verses sound more out. I don't think it's anything more important than that. Let's be real hard on this one. This yeah. has got great potential. That's how to go. What was that? <laughs> so I know the audio isn't great or anything, but it was, it was so interesting. You can watch just this little clip of them sitting on the porch at the ocean uh, in the background, and he's, he's sitting there, and he's, he's sitting there with Bono, and he's sitting there with the Edge, and he's just having this conversation with them as he's kind of speaking into this kind of groundbreaking album that they released. And I'm watching this moment happen. Um, so he helped kind of launch... Uh, rattle and hum for you two, one of the world's most celebrated bands and the album that launched their career. And then come to find out he supervised the music for 16 Candles. Now, I realize this is kind of my generation stuff, um, so some of you might be with me. Um, starring Mar- Molly Ringwald and Scrooge, starring Bill Murray. And I'm like, you know, that's incredible. And, and, and then, oh yeah, he, he also founded Interscope Records. And he signed some guys, Tupac, Shakur. He helped find Dr. Dre, who orchestrated the rise of Snoop Dogg, who likes to come here around, you know, the big motorcycle rally. <laughs> he was actually here this year. Um, and then he found Gwen Stefani, Trent Reznor, helped launch the careers of 50 Cent, 
Eminem, Lady Gaga, Grammy Award-winning artist. He produced the Eight Mile album for Eminem, um, which was iconic in its time. And LeBron James, his documentary for more than a game. And then he gave Dr. Dre the idea for Beats headphones that uh, some of you may have uh, some at home this morning. And, and then the two of them sold it to Apple for $3 billion. Okay, and I'm looking at this whole thing and I'm like, who is this guy, <laughs> right? And he, like, he's the ultimate guy behind the guy. And so many of us have never heard the name Jimmy Levine before, but a whole generation's almost entire experience with music and even in the culture and the movies have been shaped by the guy from gangster rap to rattle and hum, to the speakers that we listen to it on. So this guy is influencing the world, and a lot of us would probably walk right by him in the airport and not know the difference. And what's mind-blowing to me about this is, once again, the principle that the spotlight does not always shine where the real action is. And there are people in this world that never step out onto a stage, but we all walk in their footsteps. And Jimmy is just one example from the media industries. But here's what I'm concerned about today. And apart from the recording industry, you know, the story of God is like this. The spotlight of history may swing one way, but the real action that's shaping things is maybe over here somewhere, just out of sight, and we don't get control to, to control who history remembers. But all of us get the decision of whether or not we put our shoulder into things and to, and into what matters most in history. And what I love about this series, let's not forget the fine print, is that we get to see that our names may not land in the spotlight, but our stories can shape all of history. Come on, somebody, <laughs> right? And this morning, we're going to look at a couple in the Bible who are like this, and they're actually the, the only godly married couple that we get to peer into in the entire New Testament. And you may not even know their names, but you've been impacted by them. Their faithfulness has impacted um, the eternities of billions of people. How crazy is that? Right This morning, as we stop and think about it, my prayer is that as a result of our time together, it will inspire us to be more like them. So what I love about the couple that we're going to look at today is this. Our goal is not just to look at a guy or look at a girl who shaped history. We're going to look at a marriage that's on a mission. And what I love about that is a marriage on mission combines two great longings of the human heart. Some of you are familiar with the stories found in C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia. And you might remember reading The Voyage of the Dawn Treader about Prince Caspian, who got a group of buddies all together as they launched out on an adventure to rescue those who were in jeopardy and then to sail on until they found until they saw the king of kings and they meet him face to face. And as this little community went on a journey together, they forged deep friendships and they went on this exciting adventure. And in the midst of that mission, Prince Caspian, if you'll remember, he met a girl who was the daughter of the stars and he married her. And then their marriage launched out on mission together. And I want to, re and I, I remember as a young man, as I'm, I'm reading these stories, going to bed at night um, and reading these books. I went, Lord, that's what I want. I want to be about your mission. I, I want to be married, but I want a marriage that's on a mission. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. Um, and everybody in the room, um, there's, there's truth that you can grab hold on this morning, so don't worry about that. But when you pull those th two things together, you get to solve the two greatest longings of the heart. And so every human heart longs for belonging and longs for mattering. We long to be a part of community, and we long to be a part of a cause. We want intimacy, and we want impact. We want intimacy, 
and we want impact. These two longings, they're woven deeply into every human heart. They're inseparably linked. And in fact, the strongest communities are those that are forged by a common commitment to the cause. That's true of military outfits. It's true of sports teams, right? And the strongest marriage, the, the, the marriage is a partnership. It's a union. And so the strongest marriages are those that are on mission together. We are not meant to just stare into one, one another's eyes. I've written a song about that <laughs> with my beauty. But to find meaning in bliss. We're, you know, we're, we're meant to, to link hands and to run together into the causes that God has for us. So that's a strong marriage. I mean, think about divorce for just a second. Why do so many marriages break up? For many people, what they'll say is, our lives just went different directions, right? What does that mean? It means the ultimate vision of the marriage was going different directions. And so it's interesting, as a church, we often talk about the values of marriage, which is good, that we should love each other as Christ loved the church. Um, We should submit to one another and love one another, putting each other's dreams out in front. And that's great, but we don't often talk about the vision of marriage, where it's going. That's like, you know, talking about the morale of a a military unit. Um, At some point... You've got to put marriage on mission. You look into one another's eyes when you're at the wedding, but then you turn around and you run into the world together, and you're going somewhere, right? And so we don't just talk about, uh, we we, we, we just don't talk about the values of of a marriage, and we need to talk about, this morning, it's what we're going to talk about, the vision of a marriage. So where is it going? Because the strongest marriages are those that are on mission, and the strongest of all marriages are those that are committed to the greatest of all missions, um, that we link hands together and run into the cause of Christ. That's our God mission, right? And so God's going to show us a couple things that in the New Testament, um, through a couple named Priscilla and Aquila. And we're going to look at their lives and see three things that are hallmarks of a marriage that's on mission. And my hope is that these three things would be true of us all, every single one of us in the room this morning. Um, So we meet this couple... In the book of Acts, chapter 18, the, the back of the book of Acts is about the growth of Jesus' church, and the back half is really a lot about Apostle Paul and his missionary ventures. But as Paul's going out, in uh, ch- uh, Acts chapter 18, it says, after this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So it's interesting Uh, We actually have an extra-biblical account of this moment where the emperor Claudius cast all the Jews out of Rome. It's from the historian Suetonius, and this is what he writes. He writes, Claudius banished from Rome all the Jews who are continually making disturbances at the instigation of one Christus. And many historians agree that what Suetonius is getting mixed up there is the name Christus, or the title Christos, or the Christ. And so that was what was happening in this day in the Jewish synagogues. People like Paul are coming in and they're they're saying, you know, Jesus is the Christ or the Christos, the anointed one, the hero of God's story, come to link us up with God again. And it was causing division and turmoil in some of these Jewish synagogues. And it happened in Rome. As it happened in Rome, the emperor just decided, I don't want this craziness in my backyard. And so he kicked all the Jews out of the community, including these two, Priscilla and Aquila. That's what's happening. Okay, so they go to Corinth, which was a city that was at a junction of the, some major sea and land trade routes, and they set up a business. 
Now, these guys weren't vocational ministers. They were leather workers. Uh, They made tents. And as they're making tents, that's when they meet the Apostle Paul. Uh, So don't miss the significance of this. They meet the Apostle Paul. They were just kicked out of their home because of uprisings around the name of Jesus, right? And now here comes Apostle Paul, who is famous for instigating uprisings in the name of Jesus. (laughs) And he's about to come in as they're trying to set up their new life in Corinth, okay? And it says this, He went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And then it says later in verse 11, if you uh, scoot down to there, he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So these people lost their home because of the cause of Jesus. And as they set up a new life, here comes the guy that's been instigating all the, these um, great movements of God and this also that came with it, this great resistance to the movement of God. And he shows up at their front door. So what are you going to do when a guy like that shows up in your world? What are you going to do? What, what do they do? They let him live with them. They opened up their home and let them live with them. They let them work in the family business. He, he worked with them in the tent-making business, and they support him financially. And so he, as he goes out every week, he's preaching the name of Jesus. They're giving money to him. They're letting him stay with him and letting him work with him, and it changes the city of Corinth forever. And it's why we have the letters of First and Second Corinthians. Okay, so what's the first hallmark of a marriage on mission? I'll tell you. Number one... They were hospitable. (laughs) They're hospitable. And I want you to notice these guys weren't just people that were just throwing a couple bucks at a good cause. They, this family is different because they decide to leverage all of their lives for the cause that matters most. And that's what we're meant to do. And you see, they're willing to do it even in the midst of this uncertainty of moving, even amidst the uncertainty in their business. They they had made a decision, our life is on mission. And so all that we have, our home, our business, and are for the cause of Christ. And they're gonna change the current in the ancient Near East and in your life and mine. There's a a perfect picture of, of 1 Peter chapter four, when Peter said, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. <laughs> show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ. So I love that passage because it dismisses the lie that you've got to be a great preacher or a teacher to have influence in the kingdom. He says, if you can preach, do that. That's great. Or if you can serve, do that. And together we'll bring all the glory to God through Christ Jesus. That's what he's saying there. And that's how we're meant to live. And that's what these people did. So I'll tell you, I've run into people like this. When I first launched into the District Next General that I served uh, for eight years, I traveled to Denver quite a bit um, as I was in the process of acquainting myself with the pastors and the leaders that I was serving in our district. And our headquarters were in Thornton, uh, North Denver. And so I ended up there a lot. And for those of you that travel a lot, hotels, they can be a lonely place. Maybe not so much for me because I'm an introvert and I recharge that way. But, you know, if you do it enough, um, they can be a lonely place. 
And so we had a, the hotel that I was kind of frequenting during that season. And anyway, through, through some mutual friendship, I met this guy that we're going to put up on the screen now and his wife, Tom Edwards, and his wife, Anita. And I remember I was just getting rolling with the district, and I wasn't feeling uh, very uh, confident. And this guy came in, and he started inviting me to coffee. And he, he's a retired pastor. Um, he had served, uh, I think, the Baptist denomination for, for many, many years. And he wanted to hear my stories. He's a part of the Foursquare Church that we um, landed at there, uh, one of the elders there um, now. And, you know, he, he wanted to hear my stories. I mean, all of it, all of my doubts, all of my fears. I mean, we talked theology and, and deep into it, as deep as I go anyhow. And, and lo and behold, there was a season for about a year and a half that I served as the worship pastor at his home church at, at, at uh, North Rock Church um, that we were part of in Denver, and we became really, really close friends. And um, as we tra transitioned out of Denver, um, and, and I was still traveling with the district, Tom and Anita began inviting me over for dinners at their home when I was traveling. They heard I was coming, and, and I mean, I would look forward to seeing them as much as anything else I did on those trips with all the meetings, and I loved my job. I could have stayed at hotels very easily, but they had a home, and they brought me into it. And Tom's years as a pastor and a mentor and a disciple shaped me in so many ways. I, I can remember so many mornings um, where I woke up and I had coffee, and we had some really deep, meaningful emotions conversations with tears and laughter and hugs and I, I, I would do my district meetings and gatherings and then come back to their place in the evenings and the mornings and we'd catch up and they opened up their home to me and it changed things for me um, and we have families like that in our church um, there's this couple that we know and that we love um, from our church family down in Bayfield uh, Colorado Connie and Joey Cusenza um, uh, from Pine Valley Church in Bayfield. And so they didn't have kids in junior high, but they said to God, if you need a home to use for ministry, here it is. A little community of 1,800 people. And that's when you know God's at work in a marriage, that they would say, we are willing for the glory of God to let middle school students come invade our house. <laughs> so many people would have said, no, God clearly is not speaking to me that I would let 12-year-olds into my home. But this couple let them in, and they saw young people fall in love and follow Jesus right there in their home. Now, um, they are not vocational ministers, but doing damage for the kingdom of heaven because they were hospitable, opening up their home for whatever God might do. That ministry exploded with junior hires, and it kind of morphed into include senior hires, and their house began to be too full. If you can imagine, Connie approached the lead pastor of the church down there about doing a community meal and maybe starting an after-school program on Wednesday nights. He said yes, and that was blessed by God to become one of the most fruitful um, youth ministries I've ever seen that, or had the joy to be a part of. When Dan and I were down there, I was a youth pastor there for um, two of the three years, and, um, and then I stepped into an associate role. But Deanna and I were a part of what God was doing there and just able to witness um, what they had started. We got to be a part of this after-school program um, that was birthed out of this couple's generosity. And, you know, so Pine Valley Church in Bayfield, Colorado, is now reaching easily over 120 students each week in a town of 1,800 people. And so through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, this couple opened up their home to students, which birthed a ministry that touched a whole community. You see that? And so the question is this morning, are we like that? 
Are you like that? I promise you marriage will have the thrill of mission when you open up your eyes to the possibility that God may want to use your home, your business, and your skills to open doors for the ministry of the gospel. So are you willing? Are you hospitable? People change the world that way. You see that? Okay. As we continue our story in Scripture, things got rough. Paul got arrested. The leader of that synagogue got beat up. So these are hard times in Corinth. And yet in that moment, Paul realizes it's not safe to stay here. So he moves, and Priscilla and Aquila go with him to Ephesus. And then through the book of Acts, Luke makes a big point that Priscilla and Aquila stay while Paul goes off to Antioch. And he really wants you to know that Priscilla and Aquila stay and Paul leaves. So why does he keep on telling this? Because you'll find out in Acts 18, verse 24, here's what it says. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus, and he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. So catch the context again, okay? The, the great apostle Paul, he leaves Priscilla and Aquila who are staying in Ephesus at this little synagogue and this guy comes and he teaches who is excitable, he's ecstatic, but he has bad theology. And, and they sit in these services and they hear this guy that's teaching is not quite on and what do you do? What do they do? You know, well, you know, you post clips on YouTube, you know, with a little false teacher in Ephesus, right? That's <laughs> the title. <laughs> or, you know, you, you, you tweet something out like, so sad the churches in Ephesus aren't authentic anymore. You know, something like that. Maybe they just go to the brunch later with their friends. You say, you know, I'm not just feeling fed by the synagogue anymore. <laughs> right? I'm going to try some other synagogues. And they just kind of rip this guy. I just feel like, you know, he's not Paul. I miss Paul. I'm kind of a Paul guy. I listen to all of Paul's podcasts. (laughs) Paul's podcast is where it's at for me, right? Is that what they do? Look Look at what they do. It says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. I, I love that. They didn't wait for an official minister to show up. They, they didn't say, man, if Paul was here, he'd show Apollos what's up. They didn't do that. You know what I mean? They, did, they didn't do that. They heard this guy. His theology is incomplete. And rather than rip on him, mock him passively, aggressively, or, or undermine him, what do they do? They find the most redemptive activity possible. We need to go talk to him. Let's do it on the side so we don't shame him, which is the most loving thing that they could do. Let's teach him the truth. And Apollos will become a force for the gospel as a result of the ministry of Priscilla and Aquila. I love that. That's the second thing about marriage on a mission. The first, they're hospitable. My life, my money, my house is open to the things of God. And the second thing is they are game. As in, they are game for whatever God has in mind for them. They're game. They're game. What does that mean? You know, what I'm talking about is what it means to be eager and willing to do something new or challenging that God asks us to do. So they walk into the world and they say, whatever God has for us today... We're going to do it. You know, as, as it's, it's a perfect picture of Ephesians 2 where Paul says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has set out that we would walk in them. That every day 
They understood that God had set out some works for them and they, they would walk in them. And as we wake up every day, our homes and our monies are at his disposal and our time and our voice and our energy is at his disposal. And so they walked into every day willing to be a part of the story of God, looking across the horizon to see their moment. You know, so when Apollos pops up, they don't judge him, they don't condemn him, or, or even go to look for help. They go. They were game. They were game. And that's our mission today. And they do the most redemptive thing they can do for the glory of God and for the good of Apollos' life. And it affects us. Apollos' ministry later will be put on by many historians. will be put on the same tier if you want to do that. It's not like we're comparing apostles or teachers here. But for many historians, we'd put them on the same tier as Apostle Peter's, Apostle Paul, because they were game ready to be a part of whatever was needed in the moment that they found themselves in. I, I've worked with people like this in ministry over the years, um, and I don't know if she's here this morning yet. I, I haven't seen her face yet, but I'm going to share her story. Cheryl Goldammer um, was such an answer to prayer for Deanna and I when we uh, were youth pastors here at Destiny. She's not here this morning, is she? Is she? Right on. Where are you hiding? There you are. Okay. Right on, yes. You, you, so Cheryl was such an answer to prayer for Deanna and I when we were youth pastors here at Destiny many years ago. So Cheryl is the kind of volunteer who every leader wants to have on their team. And so she started doing camps with us, serving at almost all of our events, and was always asking first before we ever, have the, ever had the chance to even ask anything, she would come and say, how can I help? And so... Cheryl will actually tear up and she will start crying, overwhelmed with emotion, when she talks about how much she loves being on mission, serving the next generation. She teared up the day that we had her join the team, and she teared up again recently as she was recounting the many years that she has served in student ministry here at Destiny. So if you saw any of the pics that came from this year's teen summer camp, that was Cheryl. Um, she was our in-house photographer this year. And I, re I remember very early on, she was a GL, she was a group leader for my two oldest daughters, Autumn and Cynthia, when they were still in kids' camp. So that was an adventure in itself, right? <laughs> and I remember the year, this was before phones had video cameras on them, that we handcuffed our group leaders for fun, um, and we had the students bury them in the sand as they were handcuffed. And then they had to wiggle themselves out as part of the activity. And we have video footage of that. I, I am, again, not going to show that this morning in the archives, okay? Uh, and and I, 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 it exists. So Cheryl, <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Cheryl cannot tell that story without laughing to the point of tears. And guess what? She loved it. She loved it. And she kept coming back year after year to serve and love the students in our ministry. And one year, we found out that Cheryl had an allergic reaction to latex. Do you know how we found that out? We, her afternoon assignment at camp was to blow up hundreds of balloons and fill one of the camp cabins from floor to ceiling with those balloons. <laughs> Cheryl came out of that assignment red and swollen. <laughs> And so Cheryl might not fit the mold of what many would consider to be a typical youth ministry volunteer, and she would probably even say that, but the ways that God has used her over the years has been absolutely incredible. And, and she would, and, and I look at Cheryl and I see a hero. 
And I'm, I'm guessing that there are several of you today that maybe you don't, you don't even know her name, but as you look at her story and her history with Destiny, the fabric of our community is stronger because of Cheryl Goldhammer, and our world is a better place because she's game for what God has for her to do. And just on a personal level, I did not know this until just recently, but Cheryl knew my parents when they were young and had, when they had just gotten married. And when her and her friends heard, that, heard word that mom and dad were going to have a baby, I kid you not, um, she just told me this story. Cheryl was out driving around with her friends. She told them to pull the car over, and they prayed for that baby to grow up and to be God's instrument for ministry. And little did she know that I would be the one many years later to be used by God as an instrument to answer her prayer to be involved in student ministry. And so that's why she will tell you that when we invited her onto the team that she teared up the day that we invited her to serve here at Destiny Foursquare Church. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so the trajectory of families are forever different because of people like Cheryl, unassuming Cheryl, <laughs> walking into a moment and they don't just shake their hands or wag their fingers at the brokenness of society. They say, that's broken, God. What are you calling me to do in that brokenness? That's tragic. How can I step into that? Where is the fabric of society breaking? Let me weave into the grace of Jesus into this story. And so there are Cheryl Goldammers sitting in this room that are quietly changing the world. And this place is full of people like that. For Deanna and I, one way we've tried to be game for what God has for us is through adoption. Um, not that I wanted to insert us into the story this morning, but this, this is National Adoption Month, and this is something near to my heart. Um, I haven't had this opportunity before I became a lead pastor to share to uh, the, an audience that um, like this before, so I'm, I'm, I find myself sharing this story more than I used to. But God adopted us into his family, and we felt the nudge to make adoption a part of our family's story. And so some of you know our stories. I've told them many times, but our oldest two daughters, you see on the screen here, Autumn and Cynthia, became part of our family when they were seven and eight years old. Bella, our firstborn, was two years old at the time. And so the picture of Cynthia here in her swimsuit on, on the left um, that is the day that we met them. We went down to Spearfish and we met them. We had just come back from a summer camp. Um, and uh, so this was a Tuesday. It's one of my favorite stories to tell. She, her, her foster, their foster family was, was hosting a, a swimming pool party for them to kind of say goodbye to their friends and their family and to meet us for the first time. So a very surreal experience. I walked in the door. I kid you not, I opened the door. Cynthia, in her wet swimsuit, climbs up onto my shoulders. Her friend tugs at her towel and says, let's go swimming. And she says, not now. I'm bonding with my dad. <laughs> and so the social worker was there that day. And she saw the way that um, Cynthia and Autumn so immediately connected with Deanna and I and us with, 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 her, with them and even Bella. And they said, this is, this is unusual. It's, it's almost like God brought you together. <laughs> and so typically there would be a warm-up period where they might come over for an afternoon and then maybe do an overnight and then maybe a weekend. But the girls were asking, you know, of course, you know, they're excited, seven, eight-year-old, you know, can we go with them now? And they said, no, you got to pack your stuff up first. You know, you got to do that. But they moved in with us that Friday and have been with us ever since. And... <laughs> amen. 
Darian and Lazarus, they joined our family officially through adoption the day before we moved um, back to Rapid City to Pastor Destiny Foursquare Church, the day before. They were, they're three and eight years old now, but when we first met them, Lazarus had just turned one and Darian was five. The pictures that you see on the screen are the day that we met them and the day that they moved into our house. They never left. Um, and I will tell you this, the last time, this last time as we're driving to social services to talk to them about foster care, we were just going to talk about foster care. We hadn't done it for a while. We had adopted Autumn and Cynthia, and we, we uh, had taken a break for a few years from foster care. We had two new daughters in our house. And, and so I, I can tell you that on the drive there, in my flesh, I was not game, if you want to use that word. I was on, on the conversation. Deanna and I were talking about it the whole way, and I was using every excuse in the book. Uh, you know, but when we got in that room, I kept on saying things like, you know, I'm spinning so many plates. I am tired. <laughs> All of the things that you would say. But when we got in that room, and the social workers, they shared the boy's story, I knew right away, and so did Deanna, that Holy Spirit had led us there, and the boys were going to be a part of our story. I knew it. And so when the, when the social workers left that room to give us some time to talk, I took a deep breath, and I looked at Deanna, and we just knew. And as much as I had convinced myself that I was not game on the drive over, they were looking for a permanent placement. They were needing permanent placement. They had been in the foster care system for one year. We just decided we're game. We're gang. And I'm blown away by families who adopt. Families who adopt are, are people that, you know, they, 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 they have a job, they have a life, they have busy schedules, <laughs> they've got a plan. But there was a need, and they looked at themselves, and they said, can I meet it? How can I meet it? And then they just say, I'm game, let's go. People like that, they, they help kids have a better story and they raise up children to know Jesus, and they help communities stay strong, and they've helped families change forever. And listen, because we're passionate about this, we wanna have an adoption interest meeting um, next weekend in between the services. Again, I said this this morning, this is actual, actually Stand Sunday, um, where churches all over the country are talking about the importance of foster care, the importance of adoption and the importance of rescuing orphans. And so if you have any interest at all, or even just in sharing this story this morning, Holy Spirit speaking to you, I just wanna invite you in between the services next Sunday, we're gonna just head over here to the youth room and we just wanna have a conversation with you. Deanna and I have done this many, many times before because it's something that we're passionate about. So um, if you have questions, we'd like to do our best to answer them. Maybe Holy Spirit stirring something in your heart this morning, just plan to be there next week, okay? Priscilla and Aquila's lives changed history, and yours can too. Are you game? Are you game? Are you up, to, are you up for God using you today in your business, tomorrow at your school? Are, are, are you even open to the possibility that he might do something amazing through you? Because he is in the business of doing that. And I promise you, as a married couple... If you start holding hands and praying at night and saying, God, prepare us for tomorrow, the works that you have in advance for us, as you walk out together, I promise dinner that night will be way more fun because you'll sit down at the table and you'll be able to talk about what did God do in you today? 
what is, what is God doing with me and what is God calling us to as a family? And so there's, there's a thrill when a marriage is on mission like that. The last thing I don't want to point out about this couple, they were ready to, they were ready to use anything for the mission of God. They were ready to do anything for the mission of God. And the last thing I want to write down is simply this. They never stopped. They never stopped. They were faithful. They were faithful. And you see it in Paul's letters. He, he mentions um, them in three of the letters that he wrote to the churches in our New Testament. The first one he wrote to the Corinthians from Ephesus in about A.D. 55. And he closed 1 Corinthians 16, 19 saying this. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. And I love that passage for a couple reasons. One, I don't know if you caught this, but in Acts and in, uh, and in Paul's letter, he switches their names, Priscilla and Aquila, and Aquila and Prisca. And he moves the order of their names, and you say, why does that matter? Well, usually, order meant primacy, and the important person goes first. But with Priscilla and Aquila, he alternates them. Why? I, I think it might be to show that it wasn't just the wife involved in ministry and the husband kind of got dragged along or vice versa. They were a couple together, gripping hands together, running into God's purpose together, that both of them were part of the mission. The other thing that I love about this is, did you notice, it says, greet the church in their house. So apparently the tent making business is going pretty good for the whole church to fit in their house. And so that's Paul's letter to the Corinthians. He says, Priscilla and Aquila send you greetings. And then about two to three years later, he writes to the Romans. And to the Romans in chapter 16, he says, greet Prisca and Aquila. Now that they've made it back to Rome, and he says, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their necks for my life. To not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. And what I love about that is somehow they got back to Rome. And yet here, as they get to Rome, what's happening? The church in Rome is meeting in their house. Apparently, the tent-making business is blowing up. It's franchising. And so everywhere they go, the people of God are gathering in their home. And so what else I love about this, I don't know if you noticed this, but he kept calling her Prisca now. And then him, Aquila. And so some of you caught that and you're like, whoa, wait a minute, I thought her name was Priscilla. What's up with this Prisca thing? What's going on with that? What's going on with that is Prisca is the more formal version of her name. Priscilla is uh, a diminutive form. It's a little bit longer. That's like in Spanish, hermana is sister and hermanita is little sister, right? Heard that before? And so it means younger, but it's also a term of endearment. It's like my little hermanita. And what I love about that, and, and this is what you see, is when Paul was writing to the Romans, he uses her formal name, Greet Prisca. But when you find out, what you find out through all of the book of Acts as Luke is writing it, and as Paul is journeying with them, they called her Priscilla, my little hermanita. And what I love about that is they weren't just fellow workers with Paul, they were friends. They were friends. Marriages on a mission forged deep friendships, and they got to experience that with Paul. And I love that they deeply loved these people, sharing not just the gospel, but their lives as well. And so then what's crazy is not only that, it says, they risked their necks for my life. And we don't even know what that was about. We're just going to have to ask them when we get to heaven. We see them going, you know, you're Priscilla and Aquila. You know, you're risking your necks. What was that? Was it in Corinth? You know, was it in Ephesus? Was it in Rome? I got to know. But they were willing. 
And they were faithful all the way to the end. And then around A.D. 66, you see in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing what most scholars believe to be his last words before he dies. And he's writing them to his young protege, Timothy. And as he's writing to him, Paul is in prison. And he says, the time of my departure has come. I'm not going to make it out of this prison alive. And yet he's writing to young Timothy, telling Timothy, take the baton from me. Take the torch from me. Guard the words that I've given you. Preach the words I've given you. Stand up for them and take a hit for them, Timothy. Take what I've given you and run into the future. And as Paul is launching his young Timothy, he writes at the very end of 2 Timothy 4, and greet Prisca and Aquila. And I love that because here Paul is on his deathbed, and as he looks at the future... And his young Timothy, he sees Priscilla and Aquila standing right next to him, still serving and still helping, helping the next generation of ministers rise up and take their place. And I see them and I go, God, I want to be like that. I want to be a couple that's faithful with you all the way to the end. I want to be like Mary and Herb Crone are going to be here for our second service this morning. When Deanna and I were youth pastors here, Mary was a part of our volunteer team on Wednesday nights, faithfully for many years. She's a school teacher at Douglas High School. Both of my daughters have had her as an English teacher now. Um, she organizes a prayer walk through the school halls at the beginning of every year, and regularly she shares stories of how God opens doors to speak into the lives of the students that she teaches. Herb is her, is her partner in crime, and I've worked alongside him in many different ways over the years. One trip that I'm most fond of, as I recall with him, is the relief effort that Deanna and I led to Louisiana after Hurricane Katrina. And we took several students and adults on an unforgettable adventure that changed us forever. But this is an amazing couple. And um, if, if you didn't know, Herb and Mary have opened up their home this semester to lead Alpha course on Sunday afternoons. And it's no secret that I'm a big fan of Alpha. And if, if you've been around for any length of time, you've heard me share about it. It's a gathering that's de designed to engage new believers and pre-believers and all of us really in some of the big foundational questions that we have of the Christian faith. And so I led an alpha group a couple years ago. and It's one of the most amazing small group experiences I've ever had. I highly recommend it. Um, jumping in if you're new to the faith or want to dive deeper into the foundation of your faith, we plan to try to do it every semester here. It's so good. But you've, you've got to have a place to do that. And I, I love that Herb and Mary, they've opened up their home, their haven, to welcome people into that conversation. That's a big deal to me, and I know it's a big deal to those that are participating, some of, of which were invited from their workplace. Some of them which were invited outside of this church family, and they're seeking. And Herb and Mary, they're providing a safe place to seek and to ask tough questions full of grace and love because that's the way that they live their lives. And so I think about them and how amazing they are at encouraging others, including me and our community of faith here at Destiny, and I realize that I am sitting in the midst of giants, that maybe the world doesn't know the names of Mary and Herb, but the world is different because of people like them. Young people in the schools, the people in their connect group, which they've opened up their home to, pin people all over our change because of a couple that all the way to the end are willing to never give up. They are faithful, and I want to be like that. And so in the voyage of the Dawn Treader wrapping up this morning, there's, there's a moment where the journey gets rough. 
and the community that's on this mission together, they wonder as if they should quit. And in the midst of that, there's a little talking rat, which I don't have the time to go into that if you haven't read the book, but go and pick it up. But little Reepicheep, he says this to his community. He says, while I can, I sail east in the dawn treader towards my beloved king. He says, when she fails me, I paddle east in my coracle. And when she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country or shot over the edge of the world into some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise. I want to be like that. And I want you to be like that to say we have been called into the kingdom of God by the grace of Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? When we realize that in the darkness of this world, that God sent a hero, Jesus, uh, to live the perfect life that we could not, die the death that we deserved, rise from the dead, burying our guilt and our shame and making us new, and then in his mercy, if and when he leads us uh, to fall in love with someone, we get to grip our hands together and run into the purpose of our king. And when the mission gets rocky and the seas get unstable, we can have the stability of knowing that God has made us together. And I will love you as Christ loved the church and God has given us a mission to pursue the mission of Jesus until the day that he calls us home. And so Deanna and I, we want to be a couple that fights with all that we have at his disposal and for his kingdom with every one of our days, open to what God might do as a couple and we will never stop running together. As a single person, as, as somebody that's running solo, I'm gonna run with the mission that you've given to me, Jesus. Now, when you're a couple like that, let me tell you something, families in the city will change. Children in the city will be rescued and changed. Cities will change. Cultures will change when the people of Jesus step up to the cause of Jesus and our marriages get on mission. And that's my prayer for you, whether you're married or single, and it's my prayer for me this morning. Father God, we thank you again for your story in our lives. People of the fine print, unassuming, but God serving a great God. And with serving a great God comes serving a great mission. And so God, get us on purpose. Our single believers this morning, our solo believers this morning, and those of us that are, are coupled up, that are couples, that are married, Lord, we want to be on your mission. So let us rise up. Let us never stop. Let us be faithful. Let us be hospitable. Let us be game. Let us say yes. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. With nobody looking around this morning, I just want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus if you haven't done that before. Um, there's a reason that you're here in this place this morning. And, and um, I believe that uh, Jesus comes as our Savior and as a rescue to us. And we, 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 many times, I personally have many times tried to live my life as my own. And it was, it, it's, it's, it's when I submit to him and let him be my rescue that I walk in the fullness of all the life that he had planned for me. And so if that's you this morning, 
Raise your hand up high in the air. I want to pray and agree with you for new life. Nobody looking around, every eye closed. I want to agree with you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray this prayer together. Father God, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I surrender all. Thank you, Jesus, for your cross, for dying for my life, to to come and be my rescue, to give me a new life, a new mission, and a new purpose. I will gladly stand in that purpose, to be on mission for you. My life is yours. Your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, if, if, you, if, you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or if you re-surrendered this morning, we have an altar ministry team that would love to pray with you this morning. Um, and church, let's, let's be a part of his story. Is this something exciting to be walking in a time where we have an opportunity to step in line with the creator of the universe and his mission for your life, your personal mission that he's called you to, he's named you for, he calls you by name this morning. So as we go, we go as sent ones called by his name on purpose, on mission. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for being here this morning.